You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today we continue through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to finish chapter 9, and this message is called For the Gospel. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. I'm so excited today to continue our sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians, Putting God's House in Order. We have arrived all the way to chapter 9, and we're going to finish chapter 9 this morning. I'm excited to do this. Uh, My heart's just been blessed being here. This falls just on a perfect, perfect Sunday uh, as Valentine's Day is approaching as we talk about love. You know, there's some Sundays where it's hard to correlate the things that are happening during the week, but Valentine's Day is not one of them. You read Genesis to Revelation, this whole Bible, that's all it is, is a love story. We see repeatedly the love of God the Father, the love of God the Son, the love of the God of the Holy Spirit manifested to us, through us, and to the nations. So we've been going through 1 Corinthians. We've seen that the author is Paul. We've seen some of the problems this church he planted in Corinth has been dealing with. Uh, And today we're going to read a little bit more about the Apostle Paul. I posed the question yesterday on Facebook, and I think many were probably too scared to answer this. But the question was, have you ever seen anything odd or weird? What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen someone or something do? One of the examples that I thought of in my mind, me and Carissa, we used to have this dog, this little Shizu. She was the smartest dog you've ever seen. But, you know, these dogs, they have long hair and you have to bathe her. And it just blew my mind. Every time, I mean, we would take our time, get her nice and clean, blow dry her hair even. But if you let her outside on a day like today, she was going to find the biggest mud puddle you've ever seen and roll around in it. And if there was something dead, she was going to do that. That's odd. Why do you do such a thing? I thought about this, and I don't want to get into a a debate or offend anybody, but I thought about this during the pandemic. One of the most peculiar things I think I saw, you stop at a red light and you'd see somebody in a car by themselves wearing a mask. I'd look at that and I'm just like, you're going to catch it from yourself? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. I want to begin that way because as much as I love the Apostle Paul and as much as I love reading him, the truth is that Paul, from the outside looking in, you'd have to just be in denial to say anything but this. Paul was a peculiar person. We've read in chapter 7, 8, and now 9 of how Paul has explained that he is free to do a lot of things. How he is free to be married if he wants to be married. How he is free to eat meat if he wants to eat meat. Read last week how he is free to um, be paid as an apostle. Yet, with his freedoms, he's decided to give it all up. Like we said last week, Paul had literally surrendered all. That's kind of a confusing thing when you look at somebody. Somebody with great power, great authority, great freedom, laying it all down. Why would he do such a thing? Well, you compound this with the other fact that Paul's got a Jewish background. He describes himself in other books as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So they look at Paul, and even next week we'll read in chapter 10 how Paul can get with a bunch of Jewish believers or Jewish people, and he can talk about feasts, and he can talk about the Old Testament, and he can relate the gospel to a Jewish audience. Yet at the same time, or very soon after, he can go be with the Greeks, 
And he could talk philosophy with these kind of people. And he can go be around polytheists. And he can be around different people. And from the outside looking in, his life had to be very confusing. Really, it's much like Jesus. Much like Jesus. Jesus is, is, is a holy man. Jesus knows the Scripture, yet his biggest criticism is that he eats and he dines with sinners. Why do these men do such a thing? Why did Paul do such a thing? And I'll give you the answer. He says it plain as day in 1 Corinthians 9.23. He says, this I do for the gospel. For the gospel is what I've entitled this message today. This I do for the gospel. And you know, church, while people looked at Paul funny and people looked at Jesus funny, I want to tell you, people on the outside looking in, they look at us a little bit funny. Why would we sacrifice some of our Sunday morning to be here? Why would we sacrifice Super Bowl Sunday to be here? Why would we go through the trouble of getting the kids ready? Why would we go through the trouble of going to Sunday school? Why would we go through the trouble of going to seminary? Why would we go through all of this? Why do we do what we do? And I want to tell you, if the answer is anything but Paul's answer, it's the wrong answer. It's for the gospel. The gospel is the reason we meet on Sunday. The gospel is the reason we worship. The gospel is the reason we sing. The gospel is the reason we preach. The reason we teach. The gospel is the reason we evangelize. That was Paul's reasoning. And that should be your reasoning as well as a born again believer. I'm going to walk through the last few verses of chapter 9, verses 19 to 27 this morning. I want to begin right off the bat in verse 19. Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I've got liberty in Christ, I have made myself a servant to all. And why did he do this? That I might win the more. So after Paul has explained to him in chapter 9 that he surrendered all, that he surrendered his rights, after showing them that he had indeed surrendered all, he begins to explain to them why he surrendered all. In a nutshell, it's to be like Jesus, to serve other people. It also goes back to chapter 8. Paul puts love over liberty. As an apostle, it had to have been, it just had to have been a great temptation when everybody's looking at him, everybody's following him. It just had to be a great temptation to be served by all, but Paul in ultimate humility has made the intentional decision to serve all. To be a servant to everybody. Some of your translations may say a slave to everybody. I want to tell you, back then, and even today, people become, as you've seen throughout the letter, what Paul calls puffed up. They become prideful. People think something is owed to them because of their positions. It may be a position in a church. It may be a position in a job. It may be a position on the high school football team. But the Bible tells us that as Christians, we're not to be puffed up. We're to be, as Paul wrote the Colossians in Colossians 3, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
You're loved. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. We're to be like Christ. And just as Christ was a servant to all, just as Paul was a servant to all, just as they were willing to forgive all, we should be as well. I want you to know this. Love is displayed by a lot of things. It may be displayed by giving flowers. It may be displayed by giving chocolates. But ultimately, love is greatest displayed by serving others. And that's what Paul did here. I really, I've thought about all kinds of illustrations, but I really, I can't think of a better illustration to illustrate this than what Jesus said in Luke 10 in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You probably know the story Man was beaten by robbers. He's probably at the point of death on the side of the road. And along comes the priest. And what does the priest do? He's got to get to the temple. He's got important work. He doesn't have time to love this person beat it. He can't serve him. Maybe I'll pray for him. Somebody else will do it. Then a Levite comes along. And a Levite, keeper of the law, somebody holy as well. Same thing. Passes right on by. But then... The third man comes along, the Samaritan. And Jesus took pity, or Jesus said the Samaritan took pity on him. So much so that he bandaged his wounds, that he put the man on his own donkey. He took, a, took the man to the innkeeper and said, I'll reimburse you when I return. Church, that's what love looks like. Love is a verb. Love is an action. It's what the Samaritan did. It's what Jesus did. It's what Paul did. And it's what we as Christians should do as well. There's a simple application of this verse. Do more than just say, I love you. Put your love into action. When you see a need you can meet, meet it. Don't be like that Levite. Don't be like that priest. Don't ride on by. It may come in the form of changing a tire. It may come in the form of taking time to pray with someone, visit someone, call someone, or just text someone. But put your love into action. Love. There's an old audio adrenaline song I remember. Hey, haven't you heard? Love is a verb. Put it into action. Paul did that. And then he tells us why he does that in the next few verses. He says, explain it to him, he says, And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those who were without law, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who were without law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker of it with you. You see here, Paul views everybody as in need of the gospel. And I would say, you know what? He even views himself as needing the gospel. He says, I do it for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker of it with you. He's explaining to them what we already know by reading Acts and the other Pauline epistles. He served all. He met people where they were. He used every opportunity and every way possible to reach everyone because of this next truth, because the gospel 
is for everyone. It's for everyone. One of the best examples I can think of is Paul in Acts 17 when he uses the example. He's uh, in Greece and he sees a statue to an unknown God. And Paul says, huh, how can I use this? And he says, let me tell you about this unknown God. In his letter to Titus, Paul quotes a Greek philosopher, Epimenides. Paul understood that the gospel wasn't just for him and his folks. He understood that it was to everyone and no one, not even the Cretans, were out of reach. Something that I see happening today that's very troubling to me. And perhaps it's because of social media. Perhaps it's because of texting. I don't know what the reason is. Maybe it's always been like this, but I see it more. It seems that we as believers have become so very intolerant, so very intolerant that we're not willing to listen or even speak to people who don't believe like us or think like us. You see, I believe we should be like Paul. We should make an intentional effort to share the gospel. And I want to tell you, you want to know when a divine appointment happens? It happens when we learn that someone we're with has a totally different worldview than us. But what happens, rather than engage them or even talk to them, we just shut down and we walk away. We leave them and we say, well, they're woke, they're liberal, they've got this. We've got the attitude that we're right and they're wrong. We can't change their mind. That's the end of it. And I want to tell you, when I look at the Example of the Apostle Paul. Paul did not do that, nor should we. He listened. He understood. He did not compromise on the truth because he knew firsthand, firsthand, if the gospel could change somebody like him, a persecutor of the church, then it could change anybody. He knew the gospel was for everyone and he was going to share it with everyone. One of the unique things about my background, I don't know if I've ever shared this with y'all, but when I was an airline pilot, there was times when I was forced to spend four to five days in a cockpit with men and women alike that I did not agree with. It just happens. You got 3,000 pilots for the airline I was flying with. So there's going to be times when I'm going to be side by side with people that don't have the same worldview with me. I flew with atheists. I flew with Muslims. I flew with secular humanists. I flew with some homosexuals. I flew with everybody under the sun you can imagine. And that might be unique to me, but I want to tell you, church, some of you go to work or school with these kinds of people. Now, I look back, and this is what I can say about that. Looking back, these were not chance encounters. There was times when I would get scared about the conversation that may come up. But I want to tell you, that's not a curse. It's a blessing. It's a blessing when you get to spend time with someone of an opposite faith or a worldview. Because when that happens, you get to know that you know that you know you're talking to someone who needs the gospel. Now, rather than appeasing the word, the world and the world's cardinal rule is this. You don't talk about religion with other people. But I say, why not? Because I want to tell you, there's always a chance to correlate real life issues back to Scripture, back to Christ and back to the gospel. 
I wasn't at the point in my faith I am now, but when those opportunities came, I always, I always made a point to listen to their worldview and share mine when the opportunity arose. You can't expect people to listen to you if you don't listen to them. I love how Paul says at the end of verse 22, I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now Paul's not saying that he's the one doing the saving. He's just saying that I know the one that can save everyone, so I'm going to do everything I can. What does this look like today? This looks like doing everything you can, using your passion to reach somebody else. It may come in the form of reaching hunters at a wild game supper. It may come in the form of uh, taking the youth to YEC, a youth evangelism conference. It may come in the form of, of a revival. It may come in the form of a Sunday morning. That's why we, we try to sing both contemporary, like Dustin did this morning, traditional hymns as long as they're scripturally correct, becoming all things to all people so that we may save some, we may reach some. Tomorrow night, if... If the weather cooperates, I'm going to go to the Faith Riders meeting uh, at Pollock, a motorcycle ministry. Whatever I can do to share the gospel, doggone it, I'm going to try. How can you apply this today? I think the easiest, easiest way to apply this is don't shut down conversation. Let the Holy Spirit, God, be willing to listen. Ask pointed questions. Approach others in love rather than hate. Always, always look for an opportunity to share your beliefs. Now, I want to be careful here because if you're not saved, then just mute what I'm going to say. But if you're saved, if you're confident in your salvation, let me tell you, when the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking at the door, let them in. Let them in. They want to come share their false gospel with you? Well, they need to be willing to hear the true gospel from you. What an awesome divine opportunity that literally comes knocking at our door and many of them just, many of us just shut them out and send them away. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And look, you can't win any if you're not willing to talk with any. Paul says that by all means, I may win some. He understood that he wouldn't win everyone. But man, he was going to try. Let me ask you, church, when was the last time you tried? When was the last time you listened? When was the last time that you engaged someone? We talk about love. We show love by serving others, but loving others, loving our neighbor as ourselves, also means listening to others and sharing with others. Don't you ever, ever forget the gospel is for everyone and it's a good thing the person that led you to Christ or modeled Christ or whatever your story may be, you may have came to Christ by yourself and that's fine, but I want to tell you it's a good thing that the influencers in your life didn't give up on you. Thank God for the ones that, that pray and love on the ones that are lost. Paul knew that the gospel was for everyone. Well, Brother Kevin, Paul's an apostle. I'm not an apostle. Paul's a church leader. I'm not a church leader. Paul's educated. I'm not educated, so maybe this don't apply to me. But I beg to differ. 
Because the next few instructions, Paul's basically saying, I want you guys to live like me. This is what he says as he closes or as chapter nine ends. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may attain it. He's telling them, he says, he's going to tell them that he runs, but he says, look, you guys run in a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we, us, including y'all in this, for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul tells them to run, and that's what I want to leave you with today. Run with certainty. Paul's using a sports analogy here. He tells them to run in a way that you may obtain a prize. And he says, look, you guys know about sports. These people that are running in a race, they're running for a temperate crown. But for us, we're running a race that will one day end. And the crown that awaits us, the crown we sung about earlier, is an imperishable one. It's one that's not going to fade away. He's essentially saying, put love over liberty. Become all things to all people by denying yourself, by surrendering all. And you may not see the fruits of it on this side of the grave, but one day it will all be worth it. Paul says, I'm not running. I'm not not denying myself. I'm not uh, just beating the air. I know what I'm doing. I have full certainty of it. There is a crown awaiting me. It's the best use of the short time we have here on planet Earth. Miss Lisa is 95 years old today. And I haven't asked Miss Lisa, but I bet 95 years have flown by, huh? Folks, 95 will be like tomorrow whenever we get there. It's a blink of an eye. And it's so sad, as short as this life is, and as good as the gospel is, how many Christians today just sit by and they're not in the race? Rather, they're just spectators. And remember who Paul's talking to. He tells the Corinthians of all people, the ones that had very evil, perverse sin in their midst in chapter 6, the ones that had disunity in chapter 1 through 4. He tells even them, he says, get off the bench and run. Get in the race. I am so excited about the revival that's coming up. But I am telling you today that if every Christian would get off the bench and run like an athlete, we wouldn't even need to have it because we would see revival starting right here today. We would truly become all things to all people so that we may win some. Paul uses a sports analogy here and I'll use one as well. Uh, there was once upon a time, uh, y'all know me, y'all know I like LSU, but y'all don't know the depth of my love for LSU I once had. When me and Carissa got married, even if my personal email, not the church email, my personal email is LSU Tiger. I was not going to miss a game. I loved going to LSU. I had a ringtone that was the fight song. I mean, I was into LSU. But something happened that really soured me. And y'all probably know what I'm going to say before it even happens. It was the 2012 LSU-Bama-BCS game. 
LSU was 13-0 facing 11-1 Alabama. I didn't expect it to be a blowout, but I expected it to be a game. And you know when the game came, LSU couldn't even cross the 50-yard line. It was horrible. I don't know what Les Miles was thinking. I went from being his biggest cheerleader to, I mean, wanting his head on a platter like everybody else. He wouldn't try anything different. And it was an embarrassment. They lost 21 to nothing in the biggest game of the year. It should have been the biggest game of the century. I was angry. I was upset. And to this day, I'm not the diehard LSU fan I once was. It hurt me so bad. And here's the thing. That was all over a game. All over a trophy. Thankfully, they recovered. They got Joe Burrow and the rest is history. But I thought about it this week after reading this. How sad is it we get wrapped up and angry over this, over a temporary trophy, when there's so many church members, so many Christians who are stagnant and do the exact same thing. Christian, I want to tell you, we've got every tool. We've got God's very Holy Spirit residing in us. We've got Sunday school teachers. We've got God's Holy Word. There is no excuse whatsoever for the believer not to get in the game. There's no excuse for a Christian not to try to win some. I look at the Apostle Paul's life and I look at it in awe and just wonder how he did what he did. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the truth is he did what many of us are not willing to do. He was willing to love everybody like himself. He was willing to become all things to all people. He was willing to serve others. He was willing to surrender all. He was willing to deny himself his God-given rights for the gospel. I ask you to apply this today, what we've read, for the gospel. By giving it your all. Don't be like the 2012 LSU Tigers. Try something different. Try something different. Become all things to all people so that you may win some. I want you to run the race. That's what Paul wanted for the Corinthians. I believe that's what God wants for us. To run the race and not just watch the race. Not for Brother Kevin. Not for First Baptist Dry Prong. But for the gospel. The gospel is worth it. But let me share with you. One of the reasons Paul was able to do this. Is because his life had been changed by the gospel. And unless your life has been changed by the gospel, unless you've received this good news, you cannot effectively share this good news. I want to ask you today, do you know that you know that you know? If you look back at your life, I believe it had to have haunted Paul. I believe when he examined his life, I imagine he always went back on that Damascus road and he remembered seeing Jesus saying, I'm Jesus who you persecute. Paul had a definite, certain conversion moment when the good news came to him. He accepted it. He was born again. His life was changed forever. You may not have seen Jesus in person, but as a born again believer, you should be able to go back in time and remember a point 
Maybe at a church, maybe at a revival, maybe at a youth event, maybe, maybe on a deer stand, maybe at home. I don't know where it was. You should be able to go back and remember a time when it just clicked and you said, you know what? I'm filthy. I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I know you can forgive me because I know you died on the cross for my sin. Take away my sin. And please, Lord, give me your righteousness that I don't deserve. I'm making you Lord of my life. You should be able to go back and remember a moment like that. It's been a while, but a few months ago, I guess, maybe a year ago even, because I'm a theology nerd, I was watching a debate about predestination and Calvinism, and I'm not going to get into all that. And the guy speaking was a hardened Calvinist. And he was arguing that even though he believed God predestined, that he was mandated to share the gospel. And he was going to do that. And I appreciated that. That's true. But I thought about it that week and I said, you know what? That's a half truth. And really, shame on us if the only reason we share the gospel is because we're commanded to do it. I mean, think about that for a minute. That would be like you having the cure for cancer and the only reason that you share it with somebody that has cancer is because the doctor made you. We should share the gospel not even because of the Great Commission. Yes, we're commanded. We should share the gospel because the gospel is that good enough news and it changed our life and it can change everybody else's life. Shame on us for those that don't. So I ask you this morning, do you know the gospel? Has your life ever been changed? If you do, what are you doing for the gospel? What are you doing for the gospel? Are you singing for the gospel? Are you worshiping for the gospel? Are you sharing for the gospel? Have you joined a church for the gospel? Are you using your gifts for the gospel? Whatever the case may be, Brother Ray's going to come and we're going to have an invitation. And this invitation is for the gospel. Whatever you do this morning, don't you do it for me. Do it for the gospel. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and Brother Ray's going to sing. And whatever the Lord's leading you to do, I pray you do it this morning. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope that you'll remember this Valentine's Day that love is displayed by serving others. I hope you'll never forget that the gospel is for anyone and everyone And I hope that you'll run this race of life with certainty. Come join us for worship sometime at Dry Prong. We meet every Sunday morning. Sunday school groups meet at 8.50. Our worship is at 10 a.m. We would love to see you. We're just a few miles north of Alexandria. Have a great week.